Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League Rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard, and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. Well, here we are, boxing. It's been a, a weird few weeks with health and work and a bunch of different stuff going on, and, and this week's no different, unfortunately. Well, it's not, because you're the one that's ill at the moment, so I'm staying the hell away from you, mate. Yeah, we've got you via phone tonight, because I've uh, either got poisoning or a stomach bug, one of the two, we're not sure, but I've been hurling well, the Well, yeah, also, it's, it's 20 past 10 at night, and uh, I've just got home from SG Ball Trial, so... Yeah. For the fans, they was, say we're not committed. Mate, we're super committed. I was also supposed to attend. I'm going to be probably watching games because I don't know if I'm going to be going to work tomorrow if this keeps up. So I've got to catch up on those games that I missed as well. But here we are, committed to the fans, as you said. So we'll get straight into it, Boxhead. No fan questions this week, but we've got our set of six. We'll talk about the two games that occurred on the weekend leading into the two games that we'll preview being those prelim finals. A uh, quick touch on some of the state finals that will be happening this weekend and then our tips, best bets and uh, anything else for the weekend. But set of six, jumping straight in, Brock. Tackle number one, Shane Flanagan is being cleared apparently now to come back on but only as an assistant or any other role within an NRL club but he is not allowed to be a head coach for the next two years, I guess. Some people are happy about this, some people aren't happy. Seen some sections of the media and some people say that the things that he done, he should have got a life ban. Some say the 12 months isn't enough. How do you feel about him being allowed back? And if you're a club, would you have him on board? Uh, look, I think every club would want to have a premiership winning coach as their assistant coach. So do I think clubs will go after Shane Flanagan? Yes. Um, as a head coach, would I want someone of his calibre working underneath me as an assistant? Of course you do. You, you, you want to surround yourself with, I think, the best possible people that are going to make you win. But to, I guess, the other side of your question, I think... I just don't know where the NRL are on sanctions and following through on sanctions and making people accountable uh, accountable for their behaviour. They they gave him a indefinite ban, which was just a half-cocked way of not actually giving him a severe ban. So, is that Shane Flanagan's fault? No. Uh, is that the club's fault? No. Uh, I think, again, it just speaks to the lack of leadership, I think. And not so much the lack of leadership, but the lack of strong decision-makers that we have at the top. I think, I think we've got decent people leading the game. But you need, if you're going to be in those uh, high offices and oversee the game, you need to make people accountable to dissuade this sort of behaviour. 
I'm not sure whether the, the sanction has been tough enough. Uh, but, I mean, he's lost his livelihood for an extended period of time. I don't feel overly sorry for him because he committed the crime, so you do the time. Yeah, and um, I, I think that's the thing that gets people. It's not that he's done one thing. It was a multiple offences. So we first we had the Asada. Well, had two bands, hasn't he? Well, we had the Asada issue. Then it came out, obviously, that afterwards that he was involved in communicating with the club from that. But then also leading into that, the whole reason they found out that he had been communicating with the club is the salary cap breaches and potential payments that were covered up for players that he was potentially involved with. So you're looking at, you know, potentially a triple whammy in some people's eyes. The fact that they potentially took performance enhancing drugs or ran a program, the fact that he basically just disobeyed the order to not be involved with the club, but he was basically still running all the operations while he wasn't involved. And then coming out of that's also salary cap. So it's, it's a bit of a triple threat for some people. I agree with you. If I was any club right now, like as far as his coaching reputation in particular in the development area and any clubs that are lacking development, he'd be an outstanding candidate. And the name that's been thrown around is obviously the Dragons. And people say, well, wouldn't Mary McGregor feel the pressure? Well, if he's not available to coach for two years and you're struggling, I don't think you'd be feeling the pressure. I think, it, if anything, it's one of the best things that could possibly happen to you to get somebody of his calibre, but maybe by the back end of it, the tenure, if you're not successful or the players lean towards him or the club favour him, maybe you might be in danger, but I think for the short term, you'd definitely consider bringing him on board. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, exactly fair comment. I don't think Mary McGregor would be threatened at all. Not, not, not at all. It'd be exciting, I think. To I, I love nothing more than sitting down and talking to head coaches and trying to learn new things and uh, just talking footy. So it just means he gets to do that permanently. You also need a critical best friend. You need someone that's going to be critical and challenge you and say, well, could we do, be doing it better? Look, I'm not sure I like that idea. I'd rather do it this way. And I think Shane Flanagan, is he's got that type of personality where he, he's uber competitive, wants to win, uh, and I think he'd be good for any organisation, particularly the Dragons. And if they, if they underachieve this year, they've got a lot of... I guess, rep caliber players. Uh, the other thing is they've dealt with a lot of off-field adversity, the Dragons, and Shane Flanagan's got a history of having to deal with that and how to manage that from a whole club perspective, but also just from the perspective of trying to keep the playing group focused. So I think there's a lot of benefits that he can give to, to the Dragons. Yeah, I think there's plenty of other clubs. You've got the Roosters who certainly don't need any more help, but if Adam O'Brien's moving on, they're looking for another quality assistant. His son's going to be there also. Would they go that direction? I don't know. But again, like you said, uh, you know, in that situation, I'd assume the rich get richer. But the Dragons is probably the more obvious one, I think, right now. They could definitely use somebody of his standard. But as far as people wondering whether he should be back or not, I'm kind of with you. That was up to the NRL to come down and make a more definite sentence on what his ban would be. And they haven't really done that. So I can't really hold it against him. No. But moving on. Tackle two, uh, this one, in all honesty, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on I know a lot of people flipped out over the weekend about the refereeing again and ruining games and sin binning and Des had his blow up and was on the phone storming around asking where's Graham Ennisley and that they got dudded. But, you know, I, I think for the most part, it's it's divided fans, it's divided players, it's divided coaches. Everyone's kind of had a different outlook on it. But, you know, I think the bigger issue for me is it seems almost every week we look for a reason to just be offended or blow up rather than focus why, on... Why are people blowing up there? Well, I think it all kind of might have been... I think it's an absolute dead ringer, clear simbin. 
Yeah, well, again, I... I, I, I don't know what other argument you can make. There, a lot of the arguments is, well, it's a big call for that type of game, or, you know, the, and it did. It, it, it cost Manly, I think, the game. But the momentum in that game shifted multiple times based on, you know, different pieces of play from individual players, but also uh, from a few sin binnings. Mm. Well, I think um, the, the bigger part look, of I, what... I think the one, the one that people should have been blown up about was the fact that... Gazewski. Jake Gazewski didn't get sin bin when he elbowed and instigated a blue. The Cody Walkers come out and then, stupidly, open-handed, um, I guess, palmed, punched, whatever you want to call it, to the face um, of a manly player, and he gets sin bin. So... I think we're we're and we're going to get on to the Cameron Smith one as well, and um, you know my my only my only thought on that would be that Reed Mahoney was holding on to him. So if, if you're going to send Smith to the bin, send Mahoney to the bin as well. I, I I don't know where we're going with this. A lot of people sort of say, well, the five minutes in bin. I would like to see the five minutes in bin, but at the moment we're operating under a ten minutes in bin, and yeah. that was I, I didn't think. Look. Personally, for me, if, if someone put their gun gun to my head and said, "Do you think Jake Trebojevic made contact deliberately with Dan Gagai?" I'd say no. I, I genuinely think he was trying to get across and make a tackle. The, the contact was incidental. Yeah. The arm grab, I think, was a reactionary. Like you play enough footy, you saw that you can you can set you can tell. Mm. However, it was in the act of scoring a try or a potential try scoring opportunity. Yeah. And he took an opportunity away from Dane Gagai. As soon as you that put your hands on That is your classic dictionary version of a sin binning. So I'm sorry, Manly fans. It, it, it sucks. It really does suck that that played such a significant role in deciding that game because up until that point, Manly were by far the better side. Yeah. So, oh, I thought there was no chance they were going to get beaten yeah. uh, up until that point. But that, that's, that's rugby league. It sucks. I, I get it, but... Them's the breaks, man. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, again, I'm a bit disappointed with the whole beat-up again over the weekend that we had well, one good game. The second one in Melbourne was pretty lopsided, but that game in particular, the amount of hoo-ha that came after it and then followed on by the media and people complaining that it needs to be black and white or hold on, we need discretion. Like, we can't decide between either or either. We're not happy with one. We're not happy with the other side of it. To the letter of the law, was it a sin bin, Jakes? Yes, as a football player, like you said, or myself looking at it, did I think it was a bit harsh? I do, but to the letter of the law, that's how it's meant to be ruled, and that's how the referees ruled on it. And from my perspective, yeah, but harsh in the fact that it wasn't intentional. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. But as soon as you put your hands on him, you put yourself at risk. Unfortunately, even if, if it was incidental. If you said suck it up there, right? Mm. Play on, and Jake Trebojevic goes over and makes a try saving tackle, and the player could have passed inside of Dane Gagai, but he was taken out. Yeah, we'd be saying you'd be blowing it was up. harsh against South. Yeah. And I'm, I'm of the opinion that you are as well. To me, I think Gazuski or Gajeski was very lucky in the sense that we've had a lot of stuff more recently. I put your hands on people's heads. He had two lashes at pressing Dewey's head into the ground while he was in a position there. Not Nothing like the others with eye gouging or all that, but contact with a face or contact with a head. Sam Burgess oh, got done for yeah, a bloody... it's pissing me off, man. They're, they're letting go a lot of niggly behaviour. Mm. So in that sense, I look at it from a manly perspective and say, well, t- I, I thought they both probably should have gone to the bin because he instigated the whole thing with, you know, dumb contact to the head unnecessarily on a player who was defenceless. Cody Walkers was stupid as well, but the bigger part of that Jake's in bin, like you said, I think was the fact that happened only two minutes after 
Brad Parker got back on the field. So why I thought they were also lucky not to have three blokes in the bin total for the night. I think the fatigue honestly told when Jake got caught up in that contest at the back end and they got pulled apart. But I'm just it was just more again for two days there, it just seemed as though everything was about that and the referees and this, that and again. I'm like, that was a great game of football. It really was a great yeah. game of football and we're not talking about it. So yeah. yeah, I think that was a bit of a letdown, but we want to be more on the positive side of things at the end of the day. Manly had an awesome season. I still stick by what I said heading into the finals. They'd beaten Canberra twice, and I feel that if they had all their players on the field, they move on this week and they have a third potential clash, and I thought they would have had a really good chance full strength, but unfortunately we won't get to see that. So it is what it is. Um, I have no doubt that Desi and Manly will be back bigger, better next year and a real threat again if they can stay healthy. Mate, Manly fans, you guys should be so chuffed with how your team went this year. Yeah. Uh, Look, I, I didn't have them making the eight. I had them sort of from, I think, from ninth to 12th, I, I had Manly. They, they are the significant overachiever uh, because when you look at the, the strength of their roster, they're top-heavy, no doubt, but they also played significant periods of time without key players. And well, even this game, like you throw Tom Trevojevic in and they probably do get the result. For them to get as far as they did, considering that Tom was out for probably half a year, uh, and then, you know, you lost Cherry Evans to Origin and Jake Jaborovic spent some time on the sideline as well. And then now they've lost their two star back roles for the back end of the season as well. They they are they overachieved massively. So, well done, Manly. I I really liked having Des Hasler back at Manly as well. I almost liked Manly this year, which is a little bit strange. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, we'll move off from that one, but tackle two in the books, tackle three, uh, one we talked about last week, and that's the Tigers situation. On the flip side, some positive news for the Tigers. Benji Marshall staying on for another season, which after looking at the way he played this year and the ball play that he's developed into now and the absolute change in style of play and given what they've got coming through and availability of the salary cap, I think it's invaluable that they get to keep him for one more season. But the real drama and the negativity on the flip side to come from this Ryan Madison situation and the more that's come out of it, I wanted to believe a week ago that it was just basically coming from the management side of things, but it seems that's not the case. Uh, this trend, basically, of players signing contracts with their managers, getting a deal, then 12 months later when they've overachieved, looking to get out or force their way into an upgrade is becoming all too common practice. When on the flip side, when payers get overplayed, you don't see them obviously giving money back, but... I think the bigger issue here is the same issue we've had for such a long time now, which is contracts basically just mean nothing. Yeah. The dishonesty and the level of manipulation here uh, irks me. I I can't imagine how Tigers fans are feeling. They give him an opportunity to come and start. Uh, They probably double his pay packet, I would imagine. And this is just foul play from managers. It's foul play from the player. Uh, it's foul play from the other clubs. Like it's talk that it's the Titans, uh, and and specifically, I guess it's. The, I think he's managed by the Oars. They've got a lot of players signed at the Titans. I also know, or I've got decent mail that he's very co- uh, close with Justin Holbrook as he coached him at Parramatta. Uh, as a Titans fan, do I do I really want him at the club in this scenario? It, by this method? No, I don't. No. It'd make us a better team, no doubt, but I genuinely believe that he should have to serve out his contract at the West Tigers 
unless there is a mutual agreement and there's there's reasons and valid reasons why anyone else would be granted a contract, not just simply how it's been played out in that I want more money, I'm worth more money. I, I just think it's poor. It's, it's really, really poor. And, you know, I'll go back to that argument that I make and I make this argument fairly often that if you're playing poorly, the players go and give money back? No. Of course they don't. I, I, I really... I really do think we've got to the point where, A, we need to make sure that a contract actually means something because now you just said it then really flippantly, which and you're spot on and you're very right to do it, do it that way and talk about it that flippantly, but contract means nothing. Well, it really doesn't, and so, it, it only takes... Well, that's, 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 that, that is the nuts and bolts and the crux of this issue because he knows that. So he'll just keep requesting a release, requesting a release until the Tigers... Eventually, this guy, yeah, well, we're not getting value for money out of here. Well, the thing about uh, it is, then, with a coach like Michael Maguire, I have no doubt he just won't want the nonsense and he'll move on from him. Oh, but he'll just say piss off. As I said no, last yeah. week, it's it's such a devastating blow when you make a good recruitment move and you see potential in a guy who's playing a role for a big team like the Roosters and you give him that leg up and he comes there and he, he plays out of his skin this year. He's top three every week. I, I touted him early on that I thought he would have played Origin or been a chance and he got very, very close, but... That is a building block moving forward for you. That is a 22, 23-year-old player who has the potential to be a rep-back rower who can also play as a middle, as a half, at a centre and a pinch. He's the perfect unit. Like he's, it's it's a big building piece in particular for a struggling side. And I think the sadder part for me, I'll come back to what you were saying, as a Titans fan, I'd be more worried that it's just another player that comes up there for a big payback and doesn't play well. I'm not saying he doesn't come up there and try, but if he comes up purely for the money and the situation stays kind of the same at the Gold Coast. It's just another guy that's gone up there for big money who's not going to deliver. Can I also and... ask where, where we're getting the money from? Yeah, who knows? Do you know, do, do you know what I mean? Look, we've got a very top-heavy roster as well. We're, we're paying probably $3 million to four players. Yeah, well, you've got... Wallace and Boyd, you know, you'd sort of go Ryan well, James, Ash Taylor, Nathan Peets. There's there's some significantly big contracts. Jai Arrow is obviously talking, yeah, like ten players, five million odd. You know, like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where we're getting the wedge from. Yeah, well, and again, unless one of those guys is going to walk out the door, like unless they're sort of going to go, well, Ash Taylor, you can go to Brisbane, and we'll, we'll chip in five hundred for you to go there, and that five hundred will give to. Madison, I, I, don't, I don't know what the thought process is. Well, see, that's what I don't understand because realistically, from what I know about the contract, it's got increases in the next couple of years. So I don't think 500 would really Yeah, I, I heard, I heard the same. I, thought he, I think he's getting about 450 this year and then it gets up to just north of 500 in the final year. So. And every player, if they play Origin, every contract has built in that there's a bonus for Origin. So if he does end up playing Origin in the next 12 months, he's going to get an increase anyway. But... Uh, I'm more, yeah, plus, plus the wedge for Origin. Uh, yeah, and I go back to my point last week. I understand if you feel like you signed, you know, a bit on potential and then you've backed up and gone over, but go about it the right way. Like, it's it's never easy to go and ask for more money, but the right way would have been to have gone in, give them the bump to say, you know, roughly looking at market value for rep back rowers my age, I almost play at Origin. Some of those blokes are on close to 600000 Like, is there any way we can put 50 to 100 on the next couple of years, and they probably would have said what was first leaked, that if we can sort out the situation with a Madalena or a Packer or these guys, they're going to have money to give them a bump up. But yeah. since then, it's escalated where I'm getting the, 
the feeling that it's more the foul play from some of the other clubs that they're using more excuses like he doesn't like the coach, he's been trained too hard, he's injured, all these things because the money's just going to be significantly better elsewhere that a top-up wouldn't really matter. Like it's just purely going to be a better offer. So I'm more bothered, again, by the number one, the contract. Number two, by the fact of the management situation that when as soon as you feel like you've been slighted a little bit, you come back in and try and go for more. And number three, that other clubs know he's under contract, but we all know no one really plays above board. There's always dodgy dealings going on that people are throwing money at him or making offers. Yeah. So all around, if I'm a Tigers fan, I've got the shits, to be honest, and just as a fan of the game. This is why the talk of a transfer window or trade windows or these bits and pieces need to come in and say if you guys do bump him at the end of the year and he's unhappy and they go, we're willing to give him this much, and then you guys, uh, the Tigers go, well, we've got his rights for two more years. What do we get? You know, like something like this has to be introduced. And if they okay, want to top him who up, who are going to be the losers? Who are going to be the losers here? The Tigers. That's it. Because at the end of the day, if you had something like that, at least there, like an NFL situation or anything like this, you could go, we got him for two more years. What's in it for us? They go, okay, well, we're going to pay him whatever wedge we think he's worth. We have AJ Brimson, who is apparently talking to them. We're willing to let Brimson go because we're happy with our situation. Something like that. But at this point in time. Or you get a disgruntled player who doesn't want to be there and you've got no benefit in holding on to him because it's just dead money. He doesn't want to be there. He's not going to put in. And, like, you just you don't win anyway in this situation if you're the Tigers, basically. Unless in the Gordon Taylor situation, which he's brought up, you try to ice a player for a year or make him sit out and serve out his contract. But the RLPA will no, no he, doubt. Didn't he, serve, he didn't he sit out a year? Yeah, well, that's my point. But now with the RLPA in this situation, they've already got involved again now. They'll probably come in and try and pour cold water on it, which I, I think is just poor from all angles, to be honest. Yeah. So we'll move uh, on from that one, but we'll have to wait and holes see. everywhere in, it, in the whole process. The yeah. fact that he's even allowed to think about doing it, it's, it's poor. With two years to go, it's crazy, but we'll have to wait and see how that yeah. one pans out. But tackle four, moving on. The Broncos we spoke about a little bit last week, and a bit more has come out of that review. Some of the things that have been come out, Alex Glenn apparently was trying to sign to be a Bronco for life. That's probably not going to happen now. The the word is he'll be potentially moving to the Penrith Panthers. Darius Boyd wow. is not going to be the captain moving into next year. It's more likely he's going to get one last shot at playing first grade as a centre. Uh, and then, you know, you hear about Jack Bird. He tipped them that he wants to go. They were like, yep, beauty, happy to let you go. I think they were hoping, though, for a mutual release to be cleared of all the money. That's not the case, and surprise, surprise, as if a player's going to let go of that 800, and no one's really interested in bidding for Jack Bird and the price that he wants, and apparently the manager, again, says he wants to be a fullback or a 5'8", which most clubs, to be honest, I don't think will play him in either position. So uh, there's, there's plenty that's come out, and then I think the most controversial thing, and it's yet to be confirmed by the club or not, is the possibility of Matt Lodge being the captain next year. I'll tell you what Brisbane need to do is they need to find the leak and they need to cut whoever is leaking all this information to the public. They need to get rid of them because it's just causing them so many issues that should not be a factor and trial via public opinion, I guess, and media opinion constantly when they've now been eliminated for... You know, what is it now? 10, 11 days, and we're still talking about Brisbane. Yeah, constantly. Uh, I, I really do think that they've got to um, they've got to find out who's leaking this information to start with. Now, you know, is the information correct? Well, how, how do we know? Some of it probably is. Some of it is probably absolute hogwash. But when there's so much being leaked... Yeah, it's bothering. You're trying to swathe your way through 
what is and isn't true, I think most of it just gets generally accepted as being true, doesn't it? Like until, particularly when the club won't come out publicly and speak to it, um, I guess the assumption then just becomes, well, it must be true. Otherwise, why wouldn't they come out and say it's true? Well, it's starting to get into the territory of how Penrith got to at the start of the year when Ivan first got back to the club and Gus was still there and suddenly all the leaking stopped once Gus was gone. Yeah, and and Ivan... I often sort of spoke to that as well mid-season and said, look, like, I should have nipped that in the bud earlier. Because we, everyone was supposed so blindsided by the Coruscant dealing, but again, there's a good reason you didn't hear anything about it because there's no leaks at the club. Yeah, Penrith did leak like a soup there for a little while, mm. definitely. So I, I guess all those other bits aside, I think the bigger, more dividing issue, and a lot of players spoke about it, obviously, the last couple of days, is the Matt Lodge thing. And I, again speak to support Anthony Sebald and think he's a smart character. And even if he does think out of that very, very young group where there's not a whole lot of experience that Lodge is one of the key figures that is most likely to be a leader purely off public perception of what's happened in the past, there's no possible way, surely, he can name Matt Lodge as his captain. He doesn't need the C next to his name. That's probably what I would say. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be the captain. He can lead. And I, I think he's got some redeemable qualities, but he does lose his head. At times in games, and does some stupid, stupid things, and I just don't think he needs it. You're also looking at a player that's probably going to be on the bench for, you know, between twenty and thirty minutes in every match. So I guess the maximum amount of time he's going to play is fifty to sixty minutes. Uh, look, I think there's others there that I would prefer. Um, it's just it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all pans out in Brisbane, but I've, I've got the utmost confidence in, you know, what Seabold can deliver. I think he's, he's again come out this week and said, well, you know, last year Bennett had a lot, a lot of players and a lot, I guess a lot of players and experienced players that we've let walk out the door. They got flogged first week of the finals. So I took half that team, basically, or half the talent that Wayne had to the same stage. So um, with a very young team. So mm, and I- again, I, we said it last week. I, I just think, just stop talking. Yeah. Well, hopefully things quiet enough. Stop talking about Wayne. Like, there's too many revision mirrors in Brisbane. They're a revision mirror team at the moment. Even the media, all they want to talk about is the good old days. And this isn't the Broncos. And the Broncos don't rebuild. And yeah. you know, when Wayne was here, that didn't happen. And but the, the whole rugby league landscape has changed. It's going to change. It's going to continue to change. And yeah. there's not that awe about Brisbane that the, 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 once was. They're, they're a fantastic, huge club, a powerhouse, but. They need to get with the times. Yeah, and I think my issue, like I said last week, my bigger thing is this agenda all seems to only be aimed now uh, that he's got to the club and a lot of the things that they're dealing with have to do with Wayne. So Yeah, but you thought, people also need to be able to read between the lines on that. A lot of people in Sydney do not like Anthony Seabold because oh. of the way that he left South. Yeah, I agree. And like I said last week, it's an agenda, but I hope, like we said last week again, that people can see through that. And Yeah, I, it's, it's also an agenda that he's somewhat contributed to. Oh, I get you that. Know, but the way like, he left wasn't, wasn't great. A, a lot of the, the things... Brisbane wasn't great. You know, you hear the, the Brisbane media, they'll knife Wayne whenever they can. The Sydney media tend to knife Seabold whenever they can. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll blow over. Yeah, I get that. But my whole point is more the issues they're dealing with now 12 months down the track aren't things he created, like the, the Jack Bird deal and to give no, him that no, money. Let's not, go, let's not even go over that. You're right. Yeah. Spot on. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues there that he's dealing with that he shouldn't be. Spot and they're, on. they're not things you can fix in 12 months. So my whole thing no, is... But we've, we've spoken about this every week. I'm sick of talking about Brisbane. Yeah, I agree with you. 
But, yeah, we'll see what comes out of that. Hopefully a bit more quiet over the off-season. We'll see how everything pans out with their squad and what happens moving forward. But tackle five and six are going to relate these basically to the two cracker games we have coming up this weekend and some storylines. And the first one for tackle five, Storm versus Roosters uh, for the Storm. Some storylines in that one. Brody Croft is definitely done for the year. You'd have to think he has not been named in the 21 at all. So obviously happy now and settled with the fact that Jerome Hughes will be the seven. Pappenhausen is the fullback. Will Chambers benched last week. Uh, Bellamy spoke to it, said it was tough, had some sleepless nights, but I think it just shows what you'd expect out of the coach that when a player's not doing his job and not playing well enough, he made the best move for the team. On the Rooster side of things, you've got Jared Rhea Hargraves, who's out, but you've got Friend, who's been named in 21. I don't think that's Ducks and Drakes. I think he'll be playing this weekend. Cronk versus Smith for one last time. Adam O'Brien, who has Melbourne ties as well. There's a lot of good storylines. And then even the fact that you've got Tedesco playing against the kid that was behind him at the Tigers at the time in Pappenhausen. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of, lot of good storylines there. Um, I, I noted today um, a, few boy, a few of the boys at school were saying that Craig Bellamy, they were reading a newspaper article that Craig Bellamy's actually moved training facilities this week to where Collingwood train. Yeah, so they can um, play on the round, the round oval. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I just think, you know, there's, there's no stone left unturned uh, for this Melbourne Storm side. In terms of the selections, like, he's nailed the Will Chambers one. He's been you, dreadful. You were probably onto that. You were onto that before me. You, you were onto that fairly early in the year, sort of going, well, he's passed it. And, and maybe the fact, not past it, but he, he certainly wasn't playing how he should be playing. And It's also discipline, uh, though. Yeah. Was, and, you was... know, it, could have been, it could have realistically been... You know, when Croft was in the side, it could have been Jerome Hughes that took his spot if, if Bellamy wanted to get Pappenhausen at one and didn't want to move Croft. Like, he could have put Hughes in the centres and bumped Chambers. So, like, he's had the opportunity to do it for a little while. Uh, I, I think Chambers and, and this whole situation has probably been saved somewhat by the fact that Curtis Scott sort of had his off-field issues and had injuries, etc. So, it hasn't been as pressing. But, you know, I watched the Sunny Coast game uh, the week before, um, obviously, he was picked for this game, Curtis Scott, that is, and he was nothing short of outstanding at Q Cup level. Yeah, uh, as you'd expect him to be. You know, you think back to the grand final against the Cowboys, like, he was in the top handful of players in that game, and we were talking about Origin and probably Kangaroo Tours, et cetera, et cetera. And he just fallen by the wayside a little bit through injury and some off-field stuff. And he's, he's only young. Yeah, and he's in a you different know, state. He doesn't live with his family and friends. Being, yeah, homesick. and So he, he's had his issues, but I like the balance of the side. One one comment I, I would make is that it's a masterstroke from Bellamy because Craig Bellamy's thinking, well, I'll put Chambers on the bench and whether he, whether he carries him this week or not, I'm not too sure, but... Their weakness is their middle. Their weakness is their bench middles. So Bellamy's probably thinking, well, you know what? It gives me an extra interchange. If, if I don't play Will Chambers, like I'll carry Will Chambers. And look, he got the charity uh, sub on, on the weekend. He got the last seven or eight minutes only because the game was over. If that game was 8-6, uh, you know, in a close game, he wouldn't have gone on the field. No. It gives Bellamy an extra sub which gives them extra juice, which means he can shorten the periods of time that his bench are on the field. And you've got which is just smart coaching. You've got no doubt. And it's going to give them a better chance of winning. Yeah, 
I have no doubt in my mind, similar to the year we went, was it 2014 that we watched them play at the SFS when Melbourne... Yeah, you swore blind. You swore blind to me. They, they couldn't beat the Roosters. I said, they will, they will beat the Roosters. Oh, but I said you... will not take those middles off the field. Well, and I agree with you, but I said he's going to have to... Gonna go down, he's going to go down... He's going to go down with the best side in the field. And, like, when you speak to the stuff about Brodie Croft, it's, there's only so long that you can put up with a player... A, missing that many tackles, but B, not doing his job offensively. And, and his job to me would be to kick the team into good positions, to steer the team around, uh, and, and just, just to get your short passes and your long passes right. And he's now had 18 months to, to two years where he's been unconvincing in that role. He was able to do it for short bursts, come in and kick some field goals and have some good games during Origin when he was a relative unknown. But now opposition coaches have got large and extensive you know, I guess sets of footage on him. They know his weaknesses and his deficiencies aren't going away. And Craig Bellamy's obviously just thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to patch all my weaknesses up here and we're going to play a certain style of football where we're not going to beat ourselves. And look, if, if, if these other teams are good enough to beat us and good on them, well, they're well, certainly not going to beat ourselves. They've more than patched over it because originally they flipped. No, they have. They're a better side. They, they flipped. Side. They flipped Will Chambers over the other side of the field to try and help Croft out, which didn't make a difference. Croft, it's not exactly the missed tackles. It was just defensive reads. His actual tackling wasn't that bad, but his edge decisions pulled that whole edge apart. But he's doubled down. You've got Olam who's come in and been outstanding in attack and formed a great combo with the Fox on the left. But on top of that, defensively, he's been rock solid. Then on the flip side of that. You've seen the other side of the field where Jerome Hughes is much better defensively. He had Chambers next to him on that side, which was doing a better job, but now he's got Curtis Scott back, as you've said. So it's it's all kind of worked out much better on the balance side of things. But um, I guess talking about the Rooster side of things, Jared Rhea Hargrave, as we all know that statistic, friend, do they play friend? Do they take that risk? And if they do so, does that mean they have to drop somebody off the bench? Well, and what, keep... is, what is that statistic? Because that, that statistic is not relative just to this season. Oh, well, it's... The, the 40% or whatever. Like, like People just throw stats around. I went and went through each team list. Uh, and look, there is a drop, I think. Um, the drop was about 10% in terms of a winning percentage. I think they're highest... 70s to almost 80% win percentage this year, the Roosters. Mm. Uh, and when he's not in the team, they're at about 65%. Well, I'd argue that this is the best bench or best pack they've had along the run of Jared being at the Roosters, so I'm, I'm not buying yeah, into that. I, yeah, but I would also say that you've got Cordner, who's on his way back. He's been in and out. You've got Friend on his way back, in and out. You're missing Jared. Uh, Tokiara hasn't played a lot of footy in the last month. Bells is in his first year of grade. Cronk and Keary haven't played a lot together uh, in recent weeks. They're, they're there to be beaten, the Roosters. Do you keep Verrills so, if you bring Friend back? You have to, sure. No, Friend's fit. I play Friend. Yeah, but do you keep Verrills on the bench or do you have to yes, use definitely. Radley? Yeah, I, I think you do. You have to as insurance because uh, it was last last time Friend came back. Was it against the Tigers? He, he did the bicep. It was, it was a game... Not that long, um, you know, after his return, and he was he was back out again. So, well, I think for the fact that if yeah, if, if Radley has to, otherwise, who plays there? That's that's the question that Trent Robinson will be asking himself. Like, 
okay, Jake Friend's back. Firstly, he's going to want to know from his staff, the high-performance staff, how many minutes can he get out? Because he can't stay 80. He's not going to be able to play 80. So straight away, okay, can he play 60? Okay, for 60, who's going to be the hooker for the other 20 minutes? Have we got someone there that can fill that void for us? You know, do we look to a Radley uh, or, or do we carry a, a hooker on the, on the bench? Well, this is the decision. I would, I would lean to carrying the hooker purely, and Verrills that is, A, because I think he's a very good impact hooker. He can come on and he's very sharp and fast and he can provide that impact for 20, 30 minutes. But also, and the biggest point would be that I'd just be concerned about Jake Friend's health and the fact that he's come back now twice and been injured fairly quickly. And the last thing you'd want to do is be kicking yourself as a coach going, well, we got beat by, you know, we got beat in a close game where we played a significant period of time with the match without a hooker, a recognised hooker on the field. And we, we were, that was within our control in our team selections. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at it from that perspective as well, thinking I really like the bench that they've named minus Jared, but the friend does get brought back in. I don't want to take away from what Radley does so well around the middle of the field and have to put him back in a nine because I think mm. not only am I losing... And you know the other thing? They've got Mitchell Orbison there who's pretty much a spack fill for, Jesus, every position outside of fullback, front row, wing. Well, that's the real question though. That's what I'm getting at. Like, If you keep Verrills there, do you take away a potential Lindsay Collins or someone that you want to roll off the bench to be another aggressive middle, or do you just leave Orbison to be well, that guy if something goes wrong? Or, or you make the hard decision and say, Jake Friend, I'm I'm not confident enough to play you in this match. Have another week. You know, there's got to be... Well, if you get to that Robinson point... Robinson have, may have some things he might say to me, mate. I, I can't play you unless I, I know, A, that you've, you've gone, you know, two or three weeks through full contact, and, and B, that you can play 80. Well, honestly, the point I'm at right now, and I said it the other week, I think Verrills has done more than a good enough job to the fact that... No, if, he has, definitely. No if, knock on the kid. If they have no confidence in this or there's any doubt with Jake Friend, I'm not risking a premiership on somebody when I think the replacement I've got is doing more than just an adequate job. He's doing an above-average job. Yeah, he's going to be... Sense. That makes perfect sense, mate. He's no, going to no be... The, well, he's going to be the long-term gonna, replacement. He's not going to be the reason you lose, lose a game. No, he's going to be the long-term replacement for Jake Friend, I think, at this point in time. He was the New South Wales 20s captain. He's coming in. He's, you know, he's more than proof that he's up to the standard, and he's only 20 years old. So unless yep. Jake Friend is 110% ready to rock and roll, the medical staff tell me that the only way it gets re-injured is by, you know... Contact or just rugby league being the game that it is, I'm not playing. I'm sticking with Verrills because I don't want to. I don't want to interchange. You know, I don't want to burn any change. I don't want to lose a player. I don't want to have to mould my bench all around one decision. I'd rather just go in with Verrills, with the four pronged bench attack they've got, and just keep pressing on the way they are if they're not confident. Yeah. So, tackle six. The other game, the Raiders. The Rabbitohs storylines in this one again, and for the most part, uh, opposite direction. On the Canberra side of things, they're home, they're rested, they've had the week off, they had the big win. You've got Bailey Simonson re-signed today. They've got the sold-out crowd. Their Jersey flag side, along with South, has made the grand final as well. So all positives on that side of things for the Raiders. But you've got the Rabbitohs battered and bruised out of the other night. Plenty of bodies are beaten up. Jimmy the Jet had a clean-out apparently today and may not play. Um, there's still a few blokes there because they've had so many ins and outs with injuries during the year that look a little bit underdone and they've got to walk into that cauldron. It's it's a very big ask. It is a big ask. 
Yeah, it's, isn't this game going to be awesome? The crowd down there is going to be off its face. Um, you know what I was thinking today? Like, what happens if Canberra gets through? Are they going to have the um, the big horn and the Viking clap and all that at the grand final? Oh, 100%. Like, how, how, how good is that going to be? It has That's to happen. Be mental. has to happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. This game's... Look, Saturday night, is you just know that's going to be a good game. Um, but this one's just got me really hopeful that Canberra can get there. And that's with no disrespect to South. If South won, I'd, I'd say well on South. But I think as a neutral, the more exciting story is Canberra. Uh, and it's, it'd just be nice to see someone else, I guess, from outside that dominant you know, I guess I guess the dominant three sides—that's probably a fair comment. Dominant three sides for the last sort of five or six years have been South, Melbourne, and the Roosters. Uh, so, yeah, the sellout crowd is going to be such a massive advantage for for the Raiders. But you know, I wrote an article in my coach's column this week that you know, if there's anyone, well, I guess every side in the top four is pretty well equipped to travel to Canberra and not allow the environment to uh, influence them. You know, South have got internationals, origin players, guys that have played in grand finals, guys that, you know, 12 months ago have the motivation of losing a preliminary final to the Roosters in a pretty ugly game. So there's a lot of scars out of that as well. So I don't think they're going to be uh, overly worried about um, having to go down to Canberra once that ball's kicked off. I mean, the dimensions of the field are the same. We're at a period of the year where it's it's not as cold in Canberra. It may be a little bit dewy, but I guess, you know, they're used to playing at ANZ Stadium in night games. It's not going to be nah. too dissimilar to that. So I don't think the conditions or the environment are going to intimidate South Sydney. I think, if anything, it may bring the best out in South Sydney because... They play in front of some dud crowds at ANZ against, I guess, external teams to Sydney. So, and they've got guys there that are just going to absolutely love that. Guys that polarise, guys that, you know, your James Roberts of the world, your Sam Burgesses of the world, the John Suttons of the world. Like, they're happy being the villain, the Burgess twins. You know, they don't, they don't care. Nah, and um, I, we're going to get all those pommies bashing each other, which I'm sure is going to be great. Anytime James Graham and oh, Sam. I don't think we could have got two better preliminary finals. I really, I really, really don't. And like last year, you know, I was pretty confident Melbourne would win. Um, the South Roosters game, I thought, would be close. But, but this year, they, they, they're two clear cut, just not coin flips. I would say Canberra are probably the, the surer bet uh, to win their match. But by no means do I think they're a, they're a walk in. I'd say they're probably a 65-35 chance or a 63 chance. I, I truly believe the other game is 50-50 and it's even right up uh, with the fact that we're Hargreaves is out. Just all the concerns over the Roosters and also the fact that Melbourne have got an 11-1 and, 11 and 1 record away from home this year. They've been outstanding away from home. The only loss they've had away from home was at Shark Park. Well, no one, travels, no one travels better and they have to travel most weeks and teams using it for an excuse just given... And, the, and, and they've, they've played... The, the Roosters issue at the Adelaide Oval on a cricket pitch surface. Same thing. So they're pretty much all up. All and and that, that match has been played the last three or four years. Yeah. So I, I don't think the, the ground's going to be of any fear. I think the other game, I think the only disappointing thing to hear the other day 
that uh, Don Ferner had contacted the NRL and New South Wales Rugby League about the Jersey Flag Grand Final, seeing as though the two teams are Canberra and South in the under 20s. Yeah, were they, they going to try and play it that afternoon? Well, he off, he said, why don't they bring it down there and try and televise it or at least let the guys play in front of 27,000 instead oh, of... How good would that have been? Because now they're going to do it at Bank West in front of probably 1,000 people and apparently the NRL was all good with it, but Dave Trodden from New South Wales Rugby League said no dice. So I understand that the New South Wales Rugby League yeah, competition... Yeah, but that, that also might have been... Like, as a coach, like, when did that discussion happen? That would happen sort of, what, Friday night, Saturday? Yeah. Well, no, the games weren't played till Sunday, were they? So that, prob- that conversation probably didn't happen till Sunday night. I get that it's um, the New South Wales Rugby League... turnaround. Grand final, final day. I get that. But my whole thing is... That's me talking as a coach. They don't even televise it. These kids, like some of these guys... Weird, isn't it? How, how fucking ridiculous is it that we can't watch a Jersey flag game? The only Jersey flag game you see is the the odd, the odd, and there's only been a handful this year, Kiwi game that's on. Well, we haven't even had that. Yeah, we have. There's been a handful. Jersey flag. Yep, Jersey flag, um, Warriors games, Yes. Maybe maybe three or four I can remember off the top of my head. I can't remember that. that that's because that's because you're living a good life and you you probably you're asleep at nine o'clock on some Saturday mornings. Not all, but there's there's no Saturday mornings where I'm asleep at nine a.m. So Fox League goes on, baby. Well, and yeah, there's been a few really early eight eight a.m. nine a.m. Jersey flag games on Saturday mornings from New Zealand. All I'm getting at is again I was I had the shits when the twenties concept got scrapped because it's a good way to have a look into your future. Both the teams are exactly the same as the prelim final Raiders South. These kids will get what they deserve, which is a huge crowd. No doubt. And you know what? It rewarded it rewarded clubs for putting money into their pathways and and develop, I, to develop players. And I'm sure, I am absolutely sure, I commentate those New South Wales Cup finals. I've done it the last few years. I'm involved with that side of things that the NRL would have compensated New South Wales Rugby League or done something in some regard for what's but why going on they need fucking compensation? But I will put this out there as well. It's the best thing for the sport. Most it's the pe- best thing for these kids. Exactly. How about that? But my thing for the New South Wales Rugby League thing, I, I go to those finals. A lot of people don't turn up anyway. So yeah. I don't know how many... When's that on? Is that, that's not on Sunday, is it? Sunday, Bank West. I think the Jersey flag game was going to be at 1 o'clock. And uh, Before Canterbury Cup. The Cup game is at 3 o'clock. And so you're telling me that that Jersey flag game is not televised? The only way you will see it is, I don't know if they're doing a live stream on the website. They'll do a live stream. But even in previous previous years, the live streams sometimes have crashed and not worked. But it deserves better than that. Plus, you get dog shit commentary on those live streams as well. It should be on Fox, but it's not. Of course it should be. The whole day should be on Fox. So, yeah. Anyway, it used to be. For a year or two there, they had the Shield, the Massey, um, and the Canterbury Cup. I think back then, I don't know what it was called then. Um, New South Wales Cup or VB Cup or whatever it was, but um, yeah, the reserve grade was they were all on telly. Yeah, well, it's, anyway, I, like we've got a league chat. You can't go my, and say, that's "Hey, my whole point." And the competitions <laughs> can't work together where the New South Wales, you know, NRL. Tell me, tell me why? Tell me why that, that the Harold Matthews and SG Ball semi-finals aren't televised on Fox League? Tell me why that, that there's not a Harold Matthews and SG Ball game of the round. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That isn't on TV. Should be like, something. Tell, tell me, any, anyone who disagrees with me on that point, inbox me and well, tell me why. We have and, 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 and it's, not, it's not me asking... Like trying to trying to invite a personal attack, but just tell me why you wouldn't be interested. I think no, but we have most this... fair-minded people who are die-hard league lovers would love nothing more than to see their sixteens and eighteens go around. We've had this and to dis- see their jersey flag go around. Yeah, we had this or discussion. Just to see more games like this Sunday. We're essentially going to go. You know, the the Melbourne and Roosters game is going to finish on Saturday night, and essentially we're going to get the Canterbury Cup Grand Final at three o'clock on. Sunday, and then we're going to go a whole week without any footy. Mm. And we had this discussion before because, let's face it, the Rugby League channel just replays the same things over and over again. Oh, these bullshit comical shows. It's just like Fox 8 with a few games of Rugby League training. So if you don't have content, why not show the schoolboy games, the 16s and 18s, the under-20s up in Queensland have a game of the week, something, put more content. Yeah. So, all right, that's a huge set of six. We've gone a lot longer than I expected for this time of night, but we're both probably... Tired rambling, which is excellent. It's good stuff. I love it. Um, but good rugby league chat. But before we jump in and have a quick chat about those games that did happen on the weekend, we have to thank the Penrith Solar Centre, our great sponsors, Jake and the crew. Jake, if you're going to get a system, it's that time of year. We're heading into summer. It's starting to get warmer. Springtime here. It's going to get really, really hot out in the riff. I absolutely sweat my ring out when that time comes about. But if you're looking for a solar system in Western Sydney, there is none better. But if you want to know what's worse than seeing your team cop the wooden spoon this season, it's getting slapped with a rising power bill that puts you more on edge than an origin decider. Penrith Solar Centre are Western Sydney's leading solar specialists who are helping local families take control over their electricity bills. Let the sun work for you, your home and your back pocket. Contact them today on 1800 20 29 to discuss how you can become the real winner this season when it comes to your power bills or get onto the website www.penrithsolar.com.au. You've got a system box set. I've got one. The old man's got one. It is very handy in summer. Oh, yeah. Very. Oh, yeah. Even now, starting to come into into that time of the year where the day's getting a little bit longer, the sun's out. Uh, We had a couple of scorches out out here last week, so. Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah, let's go. Well, I can run the aircon all day during summer. Well, last and year, it cost me nothing. The old man last year, I remember, uh, was running the pool. The, du- the duck did when no one was home all through the day, and by the time you got home, the house was like an igloo. But in a two-story, when it gets really hot upstairs and it's 38, it's fucking gold because by the time you go to bed, you've paid for bugger all all day, you've run it all, and you've got the house into such a state that you're not trying to fight against the heat. You've already got the house cool. So yeah. the solar system certainly made a difference, so get on board. But the two games that happened on the weekend, the first one, South's Manly, 34-26. This was a cracker game, but I must say... Uh, both teams certainly couldn't defend. There were some pretty poor decisions, particularly issues defending errors. South's probably more so guilty than Manly. Manly had some poor online decisions, but South's were guilty of making errors after points a couple of times and inviting Manly in. But the first half was just absolutely manic. To start off with, it felt like Manly had all the momentum and they were going to roll upfield and just bust them apart. And before you know it, they conceded twice very, very quickly where... Moses Suley, who had an outstanding game in attack, made two poor decisions defensively where he, 
He jumped in and they went around the outside. And Elliot, we spoke about at the time, had inside support where he should have just gone and tried to tackle Johnston, but he held off. And then the second time, I think it was Murray who just dug into the line and crowded numbers and DCE and Suley kind of bit in and Cody Walker crashed over. But um, this game, like you said, just had ebbs and flows. It flipped back the other way. Manly go down the other end. They get Adam Reynolds twice pretty softly and score some pretty easy tries and uh, Dylan Walker. Dylan Walker certainly developed a lot as a ball player. He had some nice moments in this game, but all this controversy was followed up by that sin bin we talked about where Gazewski was very lucky not to get binned probably along with Cody Walker at the time. And, um, you know, they, they got through that period pretty well, to be honest. Yeah, they did. Uh, they absolutely they did. Uh, it, it was just an ebbing, ebbing and flowing game. I think there were probably two periods in the game where South had all the momentum. Uh, that was probably the midpoint of the game and the end of the game. Manly, I think we stood a lot early. Uh, and then Manly had a real good running there just after half time, probably up until about, well, until the Jake Dabrowicz in meeting. Uh, it, the game just sort of left you guessing which way it was going to turn. Uh, and I think all things equal, I'm not sure the better side won. I, I don't know. I think they were both as bad as one another at stages and probably both as brilliant as one another at stages. Are. i tell you what, I really... I guess Manly, Manly had two sin binnings and South only won and that was probably the difference. Well, the penalty count as well was 9-3 in favour of South, so that kind of hurts well, everything, everything so else. probably speaks to the discipline, yeah, and yeah. that cost you in big games. There's, there's no other way to cut that. Yeah, Moses Sully, just before half-time, when he picked up that loose pass from Tapio and turned the players inside out to put Garrick into space and feed DC, I thought that try would be the real backbreaker for South heading into the second half. But then we saw mm. go the other way, and Cam Murray basically scores untouched because they all stand on the line. I think it was Elliot who was plugging in, slipped over, and he went over the top almost NFL style and the funny story actually came out that Wayne Bennett, because he went in the sheds early, thought they were still losing, so he gave him a spray, but it turns yeah. out they were leading. <laughs> but second half, I guess, you know, just as eventful. Walker again, um, the ball playing that's developed, the pass that put Corey Riddell through, and he blew it by not passing, but luckily for them, Suley again, who absolutely gave Gagai a bath, come up with an absolute perler, scored a nice try there. And then, it, like you said, that momentum swing, it flipped again. You got Parker tripping Jimmy the Jet, the sin bin, the first sin bin. They kind of get through that period. Gajewski scores a try off that grubber that me and you were divided on at the time. And I guess at that point, I thought all things were sailing Manly's way. And then once that moment happened, where the line break happened and you had, obviously, Jake get put into the sin bin, two sin bins in a row, just kind of put them on ice. They'd been defending had their asses hanging out merely, and that just bit them in the end. South got those two tries quite easily, just stripping them for numbers, defending their line, and season over. But I guess, yeah, probably the bigger thing watching this was just some of the tries that were conceded. While the footy was good, there were some pretty bad reads. Yeah, I expected the defence from both sides to be to be much better. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I tell you, his defence was good. Georgie to throw an Ethan Lowe twice. Oh, hello, Daddy. Wow. He popped him good. But uh, I think one thing to take away from this, I guess, for the Manly side of things, like we said, really, really good year, considering all the injuries and changes and things they've had to deal with. And Souths 
have to give them credit as well. They obviously had that lull in the second half of the year, but they've certainly had their injuries, suspensions, origin issues as well. They've kept fighting through. Uh, they've pulled through this game again, and they weren't without their moments the other night as well. They've come into that one a bit underdone. They only just got the three Burgesses back. The reshuffle, the back line worked out really well. I think Adam Dewey looks like the long-term answer playing at fullback. Johnson's definitely a winger, and they lost both of those guys in the second half, so that have their own mini reshuffle there just to try and finish the game off. So on that side of things for South, whether you agree with that sin bin or not, which I didn't have a problem with it, um, they've done really, really well to get to this stage, I think, given what they've had to deal with also. Yeah, yeah. Can't agree. Can't agree more. Desi? Desi needs to calm down. I'm glad he's back, but he's got to calm down. <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. I agree. One thing Sims had down, I think, he probably would have uh, taken the emotion out of it and just had a look at it and, and thought, well, I guess you've always, as a coach, you sort of think, well, if that was, if the jerseys were the, on the opposite, um, you know, and if, if it was Jake Dubovic being pulled down by Gagai, how would Desi respond? And what would he think would be the appropriate action, course of action? So, uh, and I guess if the answer's the same, then he's got a fair point, but if the answer's not the same and it isn't sort of, an emotional or biased judgment, and naturally, as a coach, you're inclined that way. Particularly when the stakes are so uh, stakes are so high, it's a lot of pressure. Um, you get hot under the collar. That's a tough thing to, uh, as a coach, when you lose a game like that, and there's a couple of critical calls, and and then you got to get into a press conference, and you're still a little bit hot under the co- collar. You obviously say some things that. Uh, could be construed in a different way and things that you probably might not say if you had a little bit of time to cool off. So I, I like the fact he, he spoke pretty honestly. I don't think the NRL have charged him. No, he wasn't for I think they, they, they need to. I don't think he ever questioned the integrity of the referees. I don't think he questioned the integrity of the game. Uh, I, I think he sort of said, well, I, do I think we got dudded? And dudded means you just got a dud call. Um, you know, just like some of his players made dud plays and dud errors and gave away dud penalties, isn't so different. The referees make dud calls, players make dud mistakes. Um, just the scrutiny, I guess, for the referees is a little bit hotter sometimes or most of the time than what the players caught. Yep, I agree with you there. Uh, I think for South in this one, I think Liam Knight, who's had a really, really good year, obviously he's continued that. Cameron Murray, outstanding again in some of those big moments. And I thought Tom, Tom... Uh, being back in made a difference. He had some big moments in that game as well. Dewey losing him, I thought that was going to be a critical blow at the end. But hopefully, if he passes the concussion protocol, he's all good to go this weekend. He's going to be vital on that side of things for Manly. Well, you talk about the same kind of blokes every week. Tapau, Fanua Blake, they've had exceptional seasons. I think Dylan Walker, we, we were kind of enamoured on the night with some of the short ball playing. He, he laid on a couple of absolute pearlers that he dug into the line. He engaged really nicely, showed long, played short. Like he, He's developed a lot under Dez and the way they've played this year. Uh, yeah, I thought he had definitely one of his better games. And then Moses Suley. If Moses Suley can stay fit, healthy, and just work on his defensive decisions, there's no question that in attack, it's like trying to tackle a f- fucking mini Barfridge running out there in the centres. Like, it's ridiculous and unfair how physically big he is and how quick he is. Gagai had an absolute nightmare of a time, but just, yeah, some defensive reads. They're things you can fix up. And he's only 20. Yeah, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? And then depth, like, 
I know we said they didn't have depth this year, but you look what they got out of Gachevsky and Waddell, who were both more than adequate on the night. You put Serena back in, you put Thompson back in. Uh, obviously, they lose Coruscant, but you know Kepi got a few games at the back end. Oluk Artu, I know, is only a 20, 21-year-old from that 20s team. They've got a few other guys there. Their SG ball team this year made the grand final, which won a Mats comp a couple of years ago. In a year or two, managed correctly, Manly is going to be in an even stronger position under Des Haslow and with their juniors going well. Yeah. So a lot of positives yep. there for Manly fans out there. But the second game, Storm Eels, this one doesn't need a whole lot of time, 32-0. I guess the biggest thing coming out of this one for me is what we talked about going into it. It wasn't at Bank West. It wasn't going to be a dry, warm track enabling them to play that fast style of football. It's a night game in Melbourne. Regardless of whether it's raining or not, it's always a bit wet underfoot and a bit slippery. Then you have to bunker down and be willing to play uh, the conditions. It's not saying you can't risk it at times, but you have to be able to get down to the nitty-gritty. And I thought early on, Parramatta in particular, the errors and the ill-discipline just kind of put themselves out of the game. And when Melbourne get a foothold inside the opposition 50 and they take advantage of it, they generally don't let the pressure off. And that's what happened here. And uh, I think the funnier part is, given the conditions, they played some pretty good football. The first try where they shifted and got Addo Carr loose and then the second time where they got it to the wing on Moses uh, Suliasi Vunavalu, both times was really nice football, just good short interchanges of passing and drawing in that defence, but um, that is that is never relented. It felt like for the first 20, 25 minutes we had just watched the Melbourne Storm attack Parramatta in their own half. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, that's about, that's about right. Um, Parramatta, oh, I've got no sympathies for Parramatta. They did to themselves. Yeah, well, um, yeah, end of the, like end of the game, just, they completed 50%. They were 15 from 30. Just committed absolute rugby league suicide. Mm. Um, Melbourne, outstanding. Uh, but they were scrappy the week before against much better opposition. So uh, it's all on the line this weekend. The, the real Melbourne really need to stand up this weekend. And if they do, they'll, they'll find themselves uh, in a grand final and in a pretty good position to... Uh, win another grand final. So uh, a massive, a massive clash this weekend for the Roosters and, and Melbourne. And I'll probably say that the winner of this match probably wins the decade. Yeah. In terms of who's the team of the decade. Um, you got the Roosters 2010 grand final, 2013 grand final winning, a couple of minor premierships uh, yeah. winning last year's grand final. So they've been in three one, two, potentially a fourth. Then you've got the Storm, who have obviously won 2012, uh, lost 16, won 17, lost last year. They've been in four, potentially a fifth. So they're on pretty even keel in terms of green yeah, finals. I, just I think this is, this is probably the game that will decide team of the decade. They've both been very good. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, like I said, it, it's it's hard to say much more in this game because I even thought in the second half Melbourne weren't that great, in all honesty, but Parramatta... No, they weren't, but the, 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 the air had gone out of the game. Yeah, well, they, they they took themselves out of the game 100%, like you said, but even when they got into the flow of it, Melbourne take away everything you want to do. They isolated the back five, in particular Ferguson and Sivo. They did a really good job killing their set starts. The big middles in that wet, they moved them around. They tried to play through their middle... They picked on Mitchell Moses every time they could on kick returns or at any point in time. They isolated Marnie. Uh, that honestly just put an absolute rugby league clinic on. But the main thing is, like we've said before about Parramatta all year, while they show us some good football at times, they can't play left-handed. 
they like it their way. I mean, they get it their way. They're a great football side. But if you take them outside their comfort zone, which is something they definitely have to address if they want to become a top four side and keep progressing, it's not always going to be that way. You have to be able to adjust and blend into the football game, and they just couldn't do that the other night. Spot on. But for Spot Melbourne, on. That was terribly disappointing. I think that terribly was one of Felice's best games of the year. I think Hughes looked a lot better. They were a lot more clinical on both sides of the field. Uh, Asafa Solomona in particular, the back end of the year, started the year a bit hot and cold. I think he's been outstanding the back end of the season. Uh, there's some, been some real positives. The O-line inclusion and the connection he's now got with that car. I'm a big fan, and I think Scott, he did his job, but uh, I think the thing that worries me, they're saying about him doing that job on Latrell earlier in the year, just before he got dropped, he had a Barry Crocker marking Latrell. So between him and Chambers, neither have had a great amount of success marking up on Latrell. I think my big question is which Latrell turns up, though, because I don't think he's been the best version of himself more recently. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's the bigger question, yeah. Mark. Yeah, a lot of questions. But there you go. That sums up that game for Parramatta. Clearly, you have to say it's been a good year. Uh, they were the wooden spooners the year before. They get to the finals. They get to week two. Disappointing after winning 58-0 to get beaten 32-0. But you can only think that with the young spine of Marnie... You know, you've obviously got Dylan Brown, Moses, Gutherson, we know is rock solid. There should be growth in that spine. Um, as far as what's there in the forward pack, the back five is outstanding. They probably need to find a few more players for their forward rotation, but they're in a really strong position. I guess the real thing here is we've seen this before. A couple of years ago, they finished top four. Next year, they won the wooden spoon. So the big thing for them is just to maintain and push forward. So Brad yeah, Arthur, exactly right. hopefully. Not, not have another regression and then a bounce back. And they're like a yo-yo team at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, it can't happen. And again, as much as I'd hate to see it happen, if Madison went there wrongly, in my opinion, or if it's not the Titans and it is Parramatta, that would be huge. Um, I wouldn't be happy about it, but for them, that would be a big, a big coup. I also think there's growth within their own squad to promote. Oregon Kafusi, you've seen a handful of games on. He's only 19. They've got another kid who played in the 20s game that me and you watched for New South Wales, Stefano Utukamano. He's playing in the grand final this week along with Oregon Kafusi for the New South Wales Cup side. Both of those guys are 19-20. I think they're both a part of their future moving forward in that middle rotation. So much like we said before about a Penrith side, we haven't seen enough Parramatta juniors pushing through. They're both Parramatta juniors. So more of that along with some smart recruitment. Parramatta should definitely be a top eight side next year. Yeah, I agree. But moving off that, uh, just talking about some of the other games. NRLW box had started last week. Uh, obviously, we're a bit pressed for time. I kind of brushed over, no, started, unfortunately. started the week before last. They're, I think they're three games in. They're two games in. Oh, oh two games in. Sorry. Yeah. So I apologise to anyone last week uh, for kind of missing over that. It was a long, long week. But obviously, two weeks in now. Uh, Brisbane Broncos, no surprise. They're the side full of veterans. Chelsea Baker, Brigginshaw, etc., they're locked in again, two from two. The Dragons, who come in this year off some hot recruitment, taking a few big names off the Broncos in Federica, Braley, along with their own gun players in App Sergis. They got Penatani, Rakea Horn, and this freak fullback who's actually at uh, the Tigers, Bo Vet Walsh, who I watched play in the New South Wales women's competition at fullback. She's been absolutely outstanding the first two weeks. Um, they had a big win on the weekend. They're basically locked in. So I think the only thing left for this last round is the Roosters who have recruited well both years but struggled last year uh, and then still made the grand final they're 0 from 2 
They have no choice but to beat the Dragons, and they need the Warriors to lose to the Broncos. So, much like last year, the Roosters have left it. It hasn't it's panned out. It's panned out very similar, hasn't it? It's crazy. And, and the Roosters, again, you look at it and go, well, for who they've got on their books, they should be doing much better. Like Isabel Kelly, they got the young girl, Kira Dibb, who was the gun in the New South Wales game. Ryan Sims, Talisha Harden, uh, Corbin McGregor, Stowers, like all these guys play, or these girls play in the rep scene. And Samama Torfo is probably one of the best, if not the best, female player, most consistent. And it all comes down to last game again. So for them, I think they're going to be in luck. I think the Broncos will beat the Warriors side, but if they can, them beating the Dragons is going to be a big ask because the Dragons side is absolutely stacked. I think they've got the best back five with Vet Walsh, with Horn, Sergis Penatani. Um, bringing Studden into the halves, Kezi Apps and Federica, who they got from the Broncos. Holly Wheeler plays for bloody the New South Wales side, and they've got Paulie Bent's daughter, Shaylee Bent's playing in the back row. She's only 19. Yeah, scored a good try on the weekend as well. Mm, so She's one of the best young players um, in the game. I, I look at them, and I think talent-wise, they're better than Brisbane. I think the big thing for Brisbane is all, they've all just played together a lot longer. And Like I said... <coughs> Baker and Brigginshaw, along with their yardage work, Amber Pilly, and they got Julia Robinson back from injury last week. She's really strong. Amber Paris Hall, the, the oh, she's an absolute weapon. Rona Peters, Millie Boyle, who played for New South Wales, was great as well. Um, and then they've got Steph Hancock come off the bench. So they seem like the tough, tough old bull that needs to be knocked off their perch. And if anyone's going to do it, I think it'll be the Dragons. But uh, Brisbane, Brisbane, similar to the original Brisbane men's team of 30 or so years ago and they come into the competition just ever consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Mm. Um, For the Warriors... It'll, it'll, just be, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out this weekend. Yeah, well, for and against wins, it all comes into it, obviously, because it's only a short competition. I think the Warriors, uh, they're in a hard, hard spot after last week, for and against-wise, but uh, so I guess... favourite to go through Dragons? If I was a betting man, I'd, I'd have well, I to say... The Dragons, I saw that Dragons... Have to be the Dragons. Broncos game in week one, and the Dragons could have easily won that game. Oh, I, th- I think it's the Dragons are the best side. I really do. I think it just needs to click. Yeah, and I, I probably tend to agree. With a short competition, obviously, it's hard to build com- uh, combinations, but I, I think... And they didn't get the ball to Kezi Apps at all in that game. Nah, and their outside backs didn't get a whole lot of quality. But last week... Mm, there's the, a girl, the girl playing right centre. Um, I can't think of her name Jess off the top of my head. She's she's mental. Yeah, she's she just belts people, um, runs as hard as as any player. I mean that competition. She I was super impressed with her. They call her Winxie because she's as good as the horse, and she's Zach Lomax's girlfriend. So okay, imagine the child that you get out of Zach Lomax at her. Jesus Christ, super athlete. That'd be a crazy athlete. But yeah, I think coming down to four and against, if it was to be the situation. <laughs> The Roosters have no choice but to win, and they need the Warriors to lose. Um, eight points separated at the moment. So regardless, Roosters have to win. If the Warriors win, it's basically all over because they're going to have to turn around almost 30 points or 20 points to get the Dragons out of that spot. So I think it's going to be a Broncos-Dragons grand final by the looks of it. Yeah, it looks that way. For the Warriors side of things, I know I didn't mention much there, but they're half, especially the first week. Poco, her kicking game was absolutely outstanding, and... The front rower, uh, Leia Toa, she's absolutely, absolute weapon. Scored again on the weekend, had a massive game in Nua Sala. They're exactly what you'd expect, being that bigger side. They lay a really, really good foundation, got a good half. And then Georgia Hale, former half who's moved out the lock, they're a solid side as well, but they're kind of the forgotten 
team. They were basically written off before week one and they got the job done. So uh, I wouldn't write them off this week. But, yeah, I think we'll be seeing a Broncos-Dragons grand final. Yeah, I'd be the same. Well, Broncos are in, they? they can't not be in. Oh, they're sorted. So I think yeah. for the Dragons, it's going to take you know a decent loss and the result to go the other way to knock them out on four and against, but I don't see it happening. Uh, just a quick flash around for the other ones. I mentioned it before, the New South Wales jersey flag. Souths, who finished fifth, are playing the Raiders, who finished fourth. Yeah, uh, surprising. Penrith, they dropped a lot of players back. Mate, Cronulla as well. Cronulla, Penrith. Cronulla, yeah, probably the two favourites. They're both gone. So, I think. Look at this. I haven't seen much of the South side this year, but I know that a couple of the Canberra well, kids. We, we played them, um, and I, I had a little bit to do with the West Tigers twenties um, or flag side, and we played them early in the season. They beat us by fifty. Wow! And then we played them. I don't know about six or six or eight weeks later, and we beat them by thirty. Um, but I, I thought they just improved, uh, particularly late in the season. Improved, and their, their effort on effort um, and just their willingness to apply themselves for long periods of time. Um, and similarly, we, uh, again, got um, not dusted by Canberra, but defeated by Canberra and then managed to beat them, I guess, later in the year. So the Jersey flag competition was, was very, very close this year. Uh, and, and I think a couple of those standout sides obviously got injuries or had players progress up and um, and then just didn't produce their best footy at the back end of the year. Uh, and it, it, some of those competitions can look like foregone conclusions. And you know yourself, like, you know, you get four or five rounds in, you go, oh, they're, they're just going to win that comp easily. And that happens a lot in mats and ball. But how often do you see that gradually other teams around them improve and then when it comes to those bigger games, those those top sides fall over. Yeah, and also just a young bloke, so I guess, I wouldn't say complacency in all situations, but sometimes... No, but just not knowing how to apply yourself week in, week out. Yeah, sometimes you get to that point and they're used to winning and they think it's just going to happen and they get upset on the day, which is a big common theme in 16s, 18s and 20s football. But um, on the Canberra side of things, they've got a few guys who've got some cup experience, so I'm not really surprised that they've hung around. Harley Smith-Shields played the other week in the Mounties loss. Matthew Tomoko, and now one of their wingers played SG Ball. We played against him this year. Manasi Kaho, uh, he's a handy footballer who's progressed all the way to 20s from SG Ball. So um, there's some players there to look out for Canberra, that's for sure. But Queensland side. I, uh, thought, their, uh, I thought their SG Ball this year playing at two blokes was super impressive, Canberra. They were a good side. I thought more of them would push through, but it probably speaks to the strength. Mm, they're just well coached. I thought they were, I thought they were very well coached. Mm. Well, I thought more of them would move up, so clearly they've got a strong squad because not many pushed mm. in. So uh, On South, it was the opposite. I think only one name I saw uh, on the bench. I think it was Bradley Zampetch who played in the halves against us. He's the only kid who moved up, I think. So, uh, well, they struggled South in their ball, so... There you go. Bit of a turnaround, maybe like you said, with their squad during the year. Queensland side of things, winning Manly. Are going to play the Sunny Coast Falcons. That's third versus fourth up there. Haven't seen a whole lot. Probably the only name... That really stood out to me from this. No, they're not. The Falcons didn't get through. No, not talking about Queensland. That's the under twenties version up there. Oh, so who's in that? It's the Falcons and Winner Manly. Right. So Winner Manly, obviously a Broncos feeder. Sunny Coast is linked to Melbourne, and the only name that really stood out to me for the most part of the year was another hooker. Surprise, surprise, Tyson Smooty for Sunshine Coast. So, if he's got any link to Melbourne or he ends up at Melbourne, that's a bloody another one they've printed off the production line. <laughs> Oh, well, you can never have too many. No, definitely not. But that one's 
uh, hopefully going to be live streamed. So if you're a Queensland listener here and you're interested, check out the QRL website. I know they always show that. Q Cup, though, as you just said, the Falcons, they got beat by Burley. Burley, who finished third, and Winner Manley, who finished second. So on that well, side of things. Another one. Like, how, many, how many games did the Falcons lose this year? Not many. Oh, only a handful, yeah. And then get to the finals and Fell lose apart. two games and you're gone. I think week one, the Storm probably didn't help them. They took a couple more off them. But, yeah, I looked at the side this week. It was pretty close to what it had been most of the season. And uh, they got beat fair and square. So yeah. there's a few players to look out for. Winner Manley's got some veterans, some guys that have played at some 20s levels or some cup. You've got Pat Templeman, who's played at the Bulldogs in a few clubs there. He's now developed into a 5'8". Mitch Cronin spent some time at the Broncos. Raiders never played first grade, plays hooker. But probably the big one, uh, the fullback. Papua New Guinean, uh, Adine Gebby. He's heading to South next year on a two-year deal. He's lightning, so he'll be under Wayne Bennett next year. Keep your eyes out for him, the fullback. Burley, Burley's almost the same team me and you watched a couple of years ago. They fell off, and they've clawed their way back. They've still got Luke Page, uh, the big front rower, Curtis Rowe, the former Tigers fullback, Blake Leary, Sammy Salima, who I played with at Canberra, still there, and Jamal Fogarty, who played one game for Parramatta or the Titans or whoever it was, and Basically, they've got the core cool group of what they've always had. Yeah. So, found their way oh, back. I, I, don't, I don't really know how to draw lines through that game. Well, I, I haven't seen... Who, who beat the Falcons last week? Burley, who I'd be tipping. Mm. And I think... Yeah. I'll, I'll, go the, I'll go the other way. They might have played their grand final last week. These two players... How close is that game against the Falcons? Oh, they beat them 24-6. And these two played week one. So week one, Burley beat Wynnum by two points. It was 34-32. Wow, okay. So it should be a good game. Yeah. And then we'll obviously see the national final the week after when we go to grand final. We will, my friend. And speaking of that, the flip side, New South Wales Cup, the Jets, who come in at seventh. And they had a big toll during the year, obviously feeding the Sharks, taking players off them. And Wenty, who were eighth. So exactly what you wouldn't expect. The two teams to slide in last. And Wenty qualified the last week uh, playing the grand final. For the Sharks side of things, Aaron Gray, Sianni Katoa, Ronaldo, Mulitalo, Jason Bakuya, Billy Magulius all dropped back in late. And for Wenty, uh, similar deal. Once Parramatta were healthy, Penny Terrapo, David Gower, Tim Manor, Jamin Semin, who played half a season, and Josh Hoffman, who played some time, all dropped back in. So both these teams, with a combination of some senior figures and some good young kids, uh, just got it right at the right time, and 7v8 are playing in the New South Wales Cup Grand Final. But Wenty, they're carrying most of the momentum. They kind of come in, sniff of an oily rag, and Penrith was supposed to dust them week one, and now they're in the Grand Final. So I think they've got the momentum. Uh, but the Jets still got some very good young players there. Keep your eyes out for the halfback, Braden Trindle. The six as well, Jack Williams. Uh, we already know about Mully Taylor and a lot of these guys, but that, that should also be a very good game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So there you go. All this is leading to grand final day, Boxhead, and what we'll be watching. But now, before we get into our tips and our bets and all our bits and pieces, quick preview. Oh, actually, we may as well preview it when we've got it all together. So we'll do all that now, but that's brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate. Keep your eyes open for their best bets and any promos. But the NRL package for this year, it's almost wrapped up. I don't think there's any more bonus bets or bets coming out of that one, but there might be some promos during the spring carnival. But if you're into the NFL and the college football like Brock and myself, keep your eyes open for their package for that. The NFL guy and the college insider, the last two years have had huge years. They've returned double-digit profit 
on turnover margins. And anyone knows in the betting game that if you're getting double digits, you're doing very, very well. So keep your eyes open on that side. And a big thanks, as always, to the Pro Sports Syndicate for being on board. But the two games we've got this week, Brock, uh, Souths and Raiders, Storm and the Roosters last week. Gossip, yourself, myself, we all tipped the game. So the score with only three games remaining, you are on 121. I'm on 120, and Gossip is on 118. So he is out of contention to win it. It's down to me and you, big boy. But looking at these games, uh, I'll just get the team lists up here, and I'll get the odds. If the internet ever wants to work. It's going about as slow as my brain right now. Friday night, kicks us off. Canberra Raiders, South Sydney Rabbitohs down there in Canberra. Uh, As far as lineups are concerned, Joey Leilua, he's back in the starting side. Everything's all good with that eye. Bailey Simonson goes back to the bench after filling in. Nick Kotrick, after that gash to the face, he's all good to go. Josh Papali, he's going to start. Louis back to the bench. I don't don't think they'll swap like happened a couple of weeks ago. And for South Sydney, there's no changes, but they have a question mark over James Roberts with that thumb injury. So interesting to see how that one plays out for the reshuffle on their bench. They've got Corey Allen, Dean Britt, Jaden Sewer. And Marween Haroti, if they had to make a change there for James Roberts, I think they'd probably lean towards putting Campbell Graham in the centres and maybe putting Allen on the wing, but we'll have to wait and see. But I guess before we tip, a bit of a preview, what we like. For me, I think Souths, they've kept surviving regardless of injuries and changes and suspension. Last week, I was very impressed when Dewey went back to number one. I think that's the future there. Um, that's the best way their side looks. The Ford pack, obviously the Burgesses not having played a lot of football will be better for the run, but I think the real worry for me here is their edges. You've got Gagai, who got absolutely bath last week. He's marking up on Joey Leilua. Henry Rapana, uh, obviously very physical footballers, and inside them you've got Whitehead, or sorry, Johnny Bateman, I think, on that side, who's also a physical bloke. All got the ability to pick on that kind of edge of the field. and Then on the flip side, on the other edge, it doesn't get any easier either because, you know, we've seen... Uh, at, at times that they can be exposed, in particular Adam Reynolds, and be isolated, and he's going to have Jack White running him all day. So on that side of things for Canberra, if they can get second phase and roll through the middle and get out into those edges and pick on those two blokes in particular, I think they could find some love. Agree. Um, I, I think the key for Canberra is going to be getting Josh Hodgson on the front foot. He unlocks everything good that they do. Uh, goal kicking, I think that's going to be significant. Home field advantage, I think, is going to be uh, huge. And then I'd just say the end of sets for from their halves perspective. Can Caesar and White and just turn the ball over in places where South Sydney don't want to bring it out? Um, if they give uh, poor end of sets, kick the ball dead, uh, or don't even get to kicks and just lose their game management, I think Canberra could be uh, in a little bit of strife. South Sydney, I think they rely heavily on Cook. Uh, so the middles are going to go, got to roll forward and and get him some rock momentum. And from there, they just they rely heavily on uh, Adam Reynolds' kicking game. So uh, I'd like to see Burgess, Sam Burgess, stand up and and really try and uh, get his side over the line because uh, he's, he's been doing a lot of talking, not a lot of walking. I think in recent weeks, in terms of his performance for for the Rabbits, but uh, I'm leaning Canberra, but uh, a South win wouldn't surprise me, but uh, I think, you know, I'm comfortable tipping the Raiders, and 
I'd love to see him in a grand final. The first time the Raiders have been in the grand final since uh, 1994. Well, I'm with you. I'm on the Raiders. And I think for South, it goes back to exactly what you said. They need to do a great job in particular kicking game, building pressure and stopping Canberra set starts because we know they get a great roll on from those guys. Your Kotricks, your Lay Lewis, Rapanas, Nickel Clogstad's a physical runner. And if they can't stop that, that gets Hodgson straight onto the front foot. Papali's been dynamic this year. Bateman, Whitehead, Topine, they've all got the ability to offload. Um, the whole dynamic of their, their side and the way it's changed, they're dangerous all over the park. And then I think their bench, Horsberg's been great. Louis playing above and beyond what I expected. And Simonson is just a big body. So when people go, oh, you're carrying just a winger on the bench or a utility bat, like, he's more useful than just a winger. He's a very good player. So um, for South, it's going to take, like you said, the three Burgesses, laying a platform, Liam Knight, they need to roll through the middle. If they can't roll through the middle and Cook can't create much, they're not going to be able to run any shapes to the edges and play any good football. Murray's obviously the quick play of the ball there for them. He's the most reliable player, but it's going to take a lot more than Murray. They need Sam. They need Cook. They're going to need a little bit more out of Joel, George and Tom, and their back five's also going to have to start better for the sets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On the Raiders, both of us for the Pro Sports Syndicate. Misty Gossip, he's gone south. So he's on the upset there. So going the opposite. We'll see how that pans out for him. But with the Pro Sports Syndicate, the Canberra Raiders are $1.40, 295 for south. Minus 6.5 is the line. 1-12 to 12 for the Raiders is two ninety four dollars for South Sydney. 13-plus for the Raiders, two sixty five seven dollars for South Sydney. Second game, Storm, Roosters, SCG. Should be an epic clash for the Roosters. We obviously know. Rhea Hargraves is out. Tokiaho moves in to start. Lindsay Collins comes onto the bench. Sam Verrills is named at hooker. But Jake Friend, as we said, is in the reserve. So they've got a decision to make like we talked about earlier. Do they play Friend? If they do so, do they drop somebody off the bench? Probably going to be Lindsay Collins and keep Verrills there. Or do they risk it on Orbison uh, or push Nat Butcher in there and play Orbison at nine? Or do they push Radley there? It's a decision to be made. For, for me, like we spoke about before, if he is not 110% ready to go, barring another physical you know, impact or something breaking it, I'd just stick with Verrills. That's my opinion, but we'll have to wait and see how the Roosters pan out on that side. For Melbourne, no changes as well. And the big thing, as I said earlier, Brody Croft not named in the 21 at all. So there's no question marks. There's no last-minute trick shots. This is the spine they're sticking with for the biggest game of the year. Yeah. Um... I like Melbourne, as as reason stated earlier. Uh, I think there's been a lot of changes with the Roosters, a lot of guys who haven't had a lot of footy injuries. Uh, the Jake Friend situation, Boy Cordner, uh, Siwa Tokiaho, Wari Hargri is out. Uh, Mitchell, mixed form. The halves been in and out uh, for different reasons, not playing a lot of footy together. Um, and it's just, I think it's that close to the game. What is it? It's been a field goal to the Roosters down in Melbourne and then a two-point game at Adelaide Oval. Um, Melbourne are going to exceptional away record. Uh, there'll be a little bit of revenge in this. I think they're finally nutted out a team or their best team to give them the best shot to, to win this premiership. So uh, I lean Melbourne. It's an absolute coin flip. I understand why the Roosters are favourites. They've been favourites all year. Uh, but Man, I think Melbourne would have would have been licking their lips all season if they knew that they could play um, this type of Roosters team with this many question marks, I guess, over some of their key personnel. 
I'm the opposite, and I, I tipped against my own side in the grand final last year, but I just think there's too much quality across the park. I think they've got more game breakers. They've got more individual brilliance, and even though they only turned it on for one half against South, I think against the Melbourne side, they've still got enough there to get the job done. Uh, Jared, for me, I absolutely love Jared, and I think he's a huge influence, but the fact that they can have Tokiaho, Liu, Cordner, Radley, Crichton, Tedavano, Butcher in particular, those three coming off their bench as compared to Melbourne's bench where I look at it and think, you know, Brandon Smith on I can rely on to bring some impact. But between Kamika Mika and King, uh, I think limited minutes puts more pressure on your Bromwiches, your Nelsons, etc. And they're going to need to do a big job because I think the best part of the Roosters game is set ends and then the way they just whack up on D. What they did to South the week before, and the pressure they turn into set starts and just barreling sides. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Vunavalu at Okar as to how we start our sets off. And I think that's what won the grand final the year before. They just absolutely flogged Melbourne inside 20, gave them no chance to get any space. The forwards were struggling to get back behind the ball, and they did a great job in that regard. Um, I kind of expect that to be the case here. And then stopping the Roosters. Morris has played the ball with speed, underrated. Tedesco's kick returns. Daniel Tupo this year is back to best form. If he'd be close to one of the, the winger of the year, or if not, right up there. Manu, underrated. Mitchell, um, and I guess in that sense as well, I'm interested in those two matchups. Curtis Scott, much like Chambers, didn't have a lot of success earlier in the year against Latrell Mitchell. Chambers last year in the grand final. Is that what Latrell turns up? I don't know, but. Olam has done an outstanding job on the other side of the field on everyone so far that he's marked, but he hasn't played a player like Joseph Manu. So that's a real interesting matchup for me. Yeah, very, very true. Um, as fleet-footed as Manu as well. And Manu's just getting better every week. He did this last year. Just came into some real slaying form at the back end of the season. So, yeah, interesting little matchup. There's good little matchups all over the field, man. There's, there's going to be little battles um, won all over the place, but... I think if Cameron Smith can get his way, those forwards can play big minutes. Um, Melbourne can hold possession. They can stay disciplined. Uh, they can control the tempo of the game. I think fatigue's not going to be as big of a factor, and that's really going to play in their favour. Yeah, and he's the key. We all know that. Just like that last game in Adelaide, he flipped the second half for Melbourne, the same as in the first game down in Melbourne they lost. When he took control, kicked, got to repeat sets and dictated, uh, it was huge for them. And on the flip side, you know, they've got multiple kickers or multiple guys. Kiri Cronk could both kick. Verrills has showed some time when friends there. But for Melbourne, I think there's a real lack of kicking game. Munster doesn't have a whole lot of imagination. Hughes, he's makeshift there. So I think the real key for Melbourne, if they are on the front foot, is Cameron Smith being more involved with his kicking game. Yeah. But I'm going to back the Roosters. I still think there's too much quality in that side. You're on the Storm and Mr. Gossip. He's on the Roosters as well. So with the Pro Sports Syndicate, they are a dollar fifty-five favorite. The Roosters, the Melbourne Storm, two forty-five minus four and a half is the line. One to twelve, two eighty-five for the Roosters, three seventy for the Storm. Thirteen plus for the Roosters is three dollars six twenty-five for the Storm. Last week, Brock, you were two from two with your best bets. Uh, you had the bet on Avilius, and then I think the other one was both teams minus three and a half, I think. Yep. So you know yeah, multi, yeah, so Villiers, Villiers won paying about 350 and then that multi paid, I think, 260. So um, two nice little results. Uh, I'll go Melbourne 1 to 12 this weekend um, and Raiders 1 to 12. Yeah, for me, I went one from two last weekend. I had 
South's one to twelve, which came true. Uh, luckily, I think Manly, in all honesty, a bit unlucky in that one. And then on the flip side, I had Storm one to twelve, which ended up being a blowout. But for me this week, I think I'm going to go a couple of try win combos. So the first one in the Raiders game, I'm going to go the Raiders to win and lay Lua to score a try. I think he'll find a bit of love going at uh, that edge in Gagai, if that's made up of the same as it was before. And on the Roosters side of things, I'm going to go the Roosters 1-12 to because, I like you, I think that'll be a close game. So I'll just go with who I think is going to win that game. So on that side of things, Storm 1-12 to for you. You get $3.70. And for the Raiders 1-12, to $2.90. For the Roosters, one to twelve. For me, I get two eighty-five. And as far as Leilua, I can't get try scorers just yet. I don't think. I'll have to try and have a quick look here. Try scorers. Two score a try. Leilua's paying three dollars before you even add the odds. So I think in a multi, dollar forty-three dollars. What do you reckon that roughly is? What is it? A dollar forty and three dollars. I'll tell you right now. Four twenty. There you go. So four twenty try win combo. Raiders to win. Lay the to score. So there's our bets. Done. I'm going to bed. <laughs> ah, it's a bit of a late one, mate. It's a late one, mate. It's I'm been just a crazy. Slippers on my pot. I haven't even had a shower yet, mate. It's been a crazy few what weeks. What I do for the fans, Mate. I stay in my smelly footy gear until 10 to midnight. Yeah. And I've barely eaten for two days. And let me tell you, Brock can tell you this. I eat like a duck. Generally, I don't chew. I can put food away. I'm dying. Mm. I'm hurting big time. Well, you've had the bug that's been going there, and I don't, I don't want it. So Yeah. You've that's isolated yourself. On, uh, we've had two tin cans and a string tonight. tonight but uh, we got it done for the fans. We got it done. So for everybody out there, we are one week away from finding out who will be playing in the NRL Grand Final. Looking forward to all those other games on the weekend. As we've said, if you're looking for more rugby league, if you're a tragic like us, I'm pretty sure the Cup Grand Final will be on Fox. If you want to watch the under-20s Queensland or New South Wales games, look at the New South Wales Rugby League website and the QRL website. There's the NRLW final round, and there's obviously the two prelim finals. So if you're searching for rugby league, Check out those websites and obviously your Foxtel and Channel 9. Scour it, savour it, take advantage of what white lasts. So There you go. Done for another week, Boxhead. Much appreciated. And uh, look forward to preview on the grand final next week. Yeah, should be good, man. For everybody out there, if your team's not in the competition anymore, like I said, embrace it, savour it, what's left. If your team is in the final four, good luck for the weekend. Hopefully... You'll be heading to grand final and be able to cheer your team on. But for now, there's only one thing left for you to do. That's enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 